2: Welcome to the Seahawks Insider Podcast. One more time to close out the 2019 season, although we wish that wasn't the case. And by we, I mean John Boyle from Seahawks.com. And of course, I'm Jen Mueller, sideline reporter for the Seahawks. John, we were so close to having another week.
0: Yeah, I, it really felt like we might be talking about the NFC Championship game this week. The, you know, we all know the game didn't start well, but the way they battled back. You get that big third down sack from Shakeem Griffin. They get the ball back, and you think, here we go. Unfortunately, they couldn't quite get the job done, but it was a heck of a game.
2: And now I find myself with too much time on my hands, but not the desire to do really anything. So I'm just meandering through the days, and part of that is because of the way that a football season ends. It is so abrupt, and we aren't the only ones who feel that way.
1: As yeah. it happens, uh, the season comes to a finality that is striking. It's just hard to. I, mean, I don't know what to do with myself. It's, it's just a mess coming back because you just are cranking for the next and the next and the next. And, and uh, we had a, another game last night where it started off. You know, didn't look like we had a chance, and then. Uh, yeah at halftime we just we just switched gears and we uh, were able to do it. And uh, I think it was um, it couldn't have been more obvious. You guys have been around us. you've seen it, and we were ready to go win a football game. and, and uh, the, the, the switch and the change and that extraordinary momentum shift that happens is just so exhilarating. and uh, we were riding it and going. And
2: you hit on a few of those things when we started the conversation of how much different it looked in the second half. And I know that part of the conversation is how come the Seahawks can't change that pattern that we saw so often this season?
0: Yeah, it's I mean, it's not just this season. That's been a conversation for a number of years and. Look, they, Pete Carroll said it. They, they need to find a way to come out a little better and start better, and they could be a better team if they do that. But I, I think it's oversimplifying things a little bit. Just say, oh, play like you did in the second half. Because here's a couple of things. One, teams don't defend the same in a neutral score game as they do up 21-3. to three. There's going to be more opportunities because they're going to be a little more conservative to avoid letting you chuck a 60-yarder on them. Two, the nature of Russell Wilson's play wears on defenses, and it can make him more effective. We saw how good he was scrambling avoiding pressure he ran for 48 yards in the second half of that game so not that Russell Wilson can't be a great player the entire game but he tends to get better as games go along for that reason
2: I also think that it is just the offensive philosophy of Pete Carroll and some would call it outdated and I just I think that that is the most ridiculous argument ever because the style of runners that Seattle has with Marshawn Lynch or when it was Chris Carson it takes into the second half for both the runners to find kind of their groove and their momentum and for the defense to start feeling the effects of those pounding running backs. At the end of the day, you have to be able to control time of possession and run the ball. Baltimore did that so well all year long. They couldn't do it in the playoffs, but to think that that isn't an effective strategy is false thinking you just have to consider all the other factors that the Seahawks were dealing with at the time.
0: Well, exactly. When you're, I mean, look, there are teams that can win without much of a running game, and they build all around their passing game, but that's not how this team is built, and then when all of a sudden you go into the postseason with your top three running backs on injured reserve with yet another offensive line combination that's not at full strength, it's hard to just suddenly become a different team, and that's it's just bad luck injury-wise, but the Seahawks' offense was really not, you know, to it wasn't suited to its identity by the end of the year.
2: Well, and I do think that that's the other part of this conversation. People need to realize it is not as easy as just saying, you know what, Russ, we're going to let you throw the ball as much as you want during the course of the game, because that's not the way the rest of the team is built. The offensive line is not built to pass block. They're built to run block. And whether you like it or not, you cannot change all of those people in the middle of the year, although the Seahawks kind of had to because of injuries. But this is not a bad philosophy. It is the thing that has worked for the Seahawks, unfortunately. Truly, if you start looking at how this season ended, you have to say that injuries played a major role.
1: We couldn't stay healthy; it was a big deal. We really we just couldn't keep our guys. We, we were we were going so well late into the year; it was almost game twelve or thirteen somewhere in there. We had six guys on the on the inactive that were healthy, you know, and and then all of a sudden it just shifted, and we got we, we was just one after another when the running backs went down. It just we just took. A lot of hits, you know, and and I regret that we weren't able to just find a way through that.
0: Yeah, it's, you know, as the season goes along, you're never going to hear coaches and players talk about injuries as an excuse because you still have to play that next game. The focus is on who is available and that's what you do. But it's impossible to not acknowledge that after the fact that, yeah, that is a factor. That's why the Eagles were struggling so much late in the year. They were one of the most beat up teams in the league. And it's why the Seahawks weren't at full strength and weren't at their best. Pete Carroll talked about this. It's generally the teams left standing, and it's the case this time, are pretty darn healthy this time of year. I mean, go back and look at the Super Bowl teams the Seahawks had. Almost all their top players were available those years. So it's really tough. The When you get to the top, the level of talent from roster to roster is not that different. It's really tough to win these playoff games if you're playing at a pretty big disadvantage, and particularly on offense, the Seahawks were this year.
2: And if you even take a look at the Packers, they had 28 players that played in every single game this year. That's incredible. And they had they had the advantage at the end of that game because I truly think when you look at how that game ended, you can go through and say, well, you know, it it, it could have potentially been different with other guys in there. And I will say this in the locker room, look, I, I hate the final game of the season. Those are tough interviews unless you're winning the Super Bowl And the emotion in there was different. And and you can correct me if I'm wrong or if I didn't see it the same way you did, John. But there are years where there is just overwhelming frustration and disappointment because you knew that you had the talent there and you just didn't take advantage. When I walked in on Sunday after the game, don't get me wrong, there was a lot of disappointment, but it also felt like an, oh my gosh, like we gave everything that we had. You know, there wasn't a sense of, oh, we just didn't capitalize. It was... I'm just spent. You know, all of those guys were spent. Even though they wanted to make one more play, it was just sheer exhaustion after, in some ways, duct-taping together a team that had been decimated by injuries.
0: Yeah, I think that's a fair way to characterize it. Look, there's always going to be disappointment, and when the game's that close, you're always going to say, what if this, what if that? And there's an element, too, Russell Wilson touched on this the day after when they're clearing out their lockers of, Anytime you're getting that far, you feel like you should have a chance at the Super Bowl, and that becomes the goal once you're in the playoffs. So that side of it is disappointing, but you're right. They also know that they they gave it everything they had that game, and there's not a lot of regret in terms of feeling like they, they left stuff out there.
2: So let's break down some of these position groups. And you mentioned offensive line, nine different starting combinations. I'm sorry, eight different starting combinations this year and uh, countless others during the course of games when you look at Russell Wilson's numbers at the end of the year and then you consider that, how does that change your perspective?
0: I mean, we we already know, just looking at the numbers, that he had a phenomenal season. But it, really what he did, especially these last two playoff games, that's some of the best football I think he's ever played when you consider the stakes involved of playoff games. So you're playing good opponents. You're on the road. Both, both Green Bay and Philadelphia have really good defenses. And then you factor in who wasn't out there for him. I mean, you're talking – Your best tight end in Will Disley's on IR. Your center's on IR. Your left tackle hasn't done anything football-related in a month. You're missing your best three running backs. I mean, they're so beat up. And for Russell Wilson to have really good passing numbers the last two games and lead the team in rushing both games, I mean, he, he played out of his mind in these playoffs.
2: On the offensive line, we found out after the season was over, I mean, we already knew that Joey Hunt made 11 starts. Did we count that up correctly? It was 11 because Justin Britt went out in the middle of game eight this year, and he was forced to play a lot. We also know that he ended up on the injury report every week with a fibula injury. Come to find out, that's a stress fracture that he's been playing on for most of the season.
0: Yeah, no big deal. You know, these... (laughs) these guys are so tough and I think that I mean on one hand you're like yeah football's a violent sport we know they're tough but when you actually are around these guys the day or two after a game and see just how beat up they can be and then you find out after the fact sometimes what they're playing through you know as I just mentioned Dwayne Brown his knee was bugging him all year he wasn't practicing much in a lot of the weeks leading up to when they finally had to shut him down and do the surgery so between when he got shut down had surgery the following week, and then played. He had one limited practice Friday in the span of four weeks, went out and played an entire game. You talk about Jadevian Clowney, had an injury that most guys have surgery and get shut down for six weeks or so. He wanted to be a part of a playoff run, wanted to be part of something with his new team. Gutted it out, played through a lot of pain for you know whatever it was, six seven weeks, and you know now he's going to have to go off surgery after that after the season ends.
2: We'll talk a little bit more about Clowney in a minute, but I was talking to Dwayne Brown on Locker Cleanout Day. You want to know the injury I completely forgot about because we were so absorbed with his knee? He's got to get his bicep taken care of. Yeah, he heard that, that. was the original injury that, was, what, that he missed a couple four, of games five.
0: with. Yeah, I mean he, he did that really <laughs> early in the year. Yeah, it's just these, these guys, guys are remarkable. Yeah. And you go back to you know like the year Russell Wilson he sprained I think it was sixteen. Gets a high ankle sprain, and then sprains his MCL. Doesn't Plays miss through a both game. of them. Yeah, it's it's nuts what some of these guys go through. Richard Sherman did that with the elbow, you know, with, played through a bunch of It's just these Cam guys. did it in the second yeah, Super Bowl appearance. Yeah, these yeah, guys it. are really tough, and it shows you how much they love the game. that You know, they, they want to be out there even if they're paying, playing through a lot and are going to have to pay the price for it down the road.
2: Yeah, they certainly will. Tight ends you mentioned a little bit. Uh, injuries taking a toll early when Will Disley goes out it has been said that he is crushing his rehab after tearing his Achilles it'll be great to see him out there in a full year and I think the Seahawks also know what they have in Jacob Hollister yeah I, he was beating himself up pretty good over not making a couple of more plays this year and in that final game but overall what a revelation that you have and the trust that he was able to build with Russ. I'm impressed with that
0: one. oh for sure I mean this is a guy you know they trade for him you don't know much about him Looks pretty good in camp, but they can't fit him onto the roster. Ends up on the practice squad. To come in after five weeks on the practice squad and do what he did, and it, you mentioned the trust. I mean, Russ was going to him in a lot of big moments. Had the game-winner against Tampa Bay. Darnier had the game-winner against the 49ers. And here's the thing. He ended up having to pretty much be a number one tight end because of injuries. But if you can get healthier at that position, get Will Disley back, and maybe whether it's adding somebody, you know, whether it's Ed Dixon getting healthy and being back here, whatever the situation is, if he's not asked to be the guy and he's more of just a weapon in the passing game and you can play to his strengths, he could be a really fun player next year.
2: Wide receivers, it is very clear that Tyler Lockett is capable, not only capable, but exceptional as being a number Man, one receiver. He was good in that game. He was so yeah. good. Just his catches continue to amaze me. DK Metcalf, too. I mean, he, he was making plays all season long, even when teams, you know, We're prepared for him. We're essentially waiting for him. He still found ways to make a play. Deron Brown is a free agent now. We did see Demo step up a bit. I think there's probably some question marks as to how that group rounds out next year. For sure.
0: I mean, we know the top two. You just said it. I mean, Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf had great seasons, and they're both big parts of the future of this team. But yeah, beyond those two, there's definitely some question marks. I mean, Pete Carroll spoke really highly of John Ursula in his year-end press conference. I think he's a guy that's going to come in in year two and get to compete for a much more significant role than he had. But, yeah, otherwise, there's, you know, Malik Turner is a young guy with some upside they still like a lot. But I, I think it's safe to say everything beyond those two spots is going to be wide open for competition next next summer.
2: It seems like the running back room is probably set once you get guys back, at least in terms of Chris Carson and Rashad Penny. So you got your one-two punch. I'm curious to see who else sits in that room because well, the door is not closed on Marchand.
0: No, it was kind of interesting to hear Pete Carroll say I, I think we all assume that this could have been it for him just because, I mean, he was out of football for a year. He's 33. You know, it's hard to envision a 34-year-old running back wanting to come back and grind through a whole season. But never say never with Marshawn. The Seahawks won't close that door right now, and it sounds like Marshawn, you know, at least what he said to the media on Sunday, he's, you know, wait and see on his future. But, yeah, That'll be a really interesting position group, though, because of the injuries you mentioned. It's, you know, I think by the time you get to the start of the regular season, you hope that you have that one-two punch available. But Penny's injury came late enough in the year that you can't assume that he's going to be full go when camp starts. And we've seen it. Obviously, this year was a good example. You need depth there. So I would not be surprised at all to see the Seahawks look pretty aggressively to whether it's through the draft or free agency to, to bolster the depth there, even though they really like the one-two they have.
2: Well, and Travis Homer came on late, and I was talking oh, yeah. to him during I, I, locker clean. I should out. not have
0: left Homer he, out of that.
2: Here's a cool thing about not. Homer. So he was going back to Miami. He's actually taking classes in the classroom. He's got three classes that he's taking. He's going to slowly chip away. He says he needs to get his degree. So every offseason, he's going to take a few classes. Good for him. I said, you're not going to do the online stuff? He goes, no, nah, I just, I don't learn very well that way. I really want to be in the classroom. So uh, by the end of the week, he will be back in class working towards his degree that has to do with business administration. That covers the offensive side of things. Defensively, you touched on Jadavian Clowney. That is going to be a huge question mark, along with the Seahawks' pass rush, and Pete Carroll would love to be able to count on J.D. again.
1: He's a terrific football player and had a big impact on us. We would love to have him back.
2: And really, it is as simple as that. When you take a look at what he did, the toughness that he showed, and I think Jadavian showed that he would like to be back here.
0: Yeah, I mean, he seemed to really like it here. He fit in well with the guys. He, I think... Him playing through the injury showed that, you know, if a guy was in a situation where he didn't feel real comfortable and wasn't sure if he could have had, you know, if he thought, I don't know if I want to be back there and all these things, he might have just had the surgery and looked towards 2020 and hitting free agency healthy. But, no, he wanted to finish it out with these guys. So, you know, look, he wants to – I'm sure he probably wants to see what's out there in free agency. He's never got a chance to do that. That was part of the trade to come here was that the Seahawks couldn't franchise him. So he had that in mind back when this trade happened. That being said, I think the experience he had should give the Seahawks uh, some advantage in the negotiating, but we all know, it, you know, as people say, it's a business, money matters. So that, I mean, to me and probably everyone else, that's the number one question personnel-wise heading into the offseason can they get him back?
2: And whether you do or not, you still have to make moves across the defensive line because depth became an issue at the end of the year.
1: Well, we, we have to, you know, we get you guys to come back to us and all that. It's a, It's an important area for us. Uh, we were, we didn't get enough product, production consistently. At times, we were as good as anybody, but not not with the consistency that we need. And uh, it's it's so much better to play football when you're rushing four guys and you're having, you know in, in your kicking butt. Um, everything works when you do that. But um, so we have to just keep developing. I think we need we need continuity. Uh, we need to. Um, you know, not having Jay, Jay Reed early in the year was a mess for us. You know, we missed him for six weeks, and then he had to transition back in. So there's just things we can smooth out. Um, but when we need to get some of these guys back, too.
2: And really, when you take a look at the defense as a whole, Pete Carroll made some comments that I don't know how you would parse them. I mean, there's a lot of things that need to be looked at. You know, whether it's depth on the defensive line, what happens at linebacker? You know, Michael Kendricks is a free agent. He is undergoing knee surgery. What happens there? And then with the DBs, it looks like you had the second, I'm sorry, it looked like you had the safeties figured out by the end of the year, but then there's still some youth and things to work out that came into play in that final game, too.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, the whole defense is going to be really fascinating to me to see which, a lot of ways, which directions they go. I mean, Pete Carroll made it pretty clear he wasn't happy. I mean, he's a defensive guy, he's been coaching defense his whole life, and for a team to be where the Seahawks were in terms of the yards they're giving up, the points, the the lack of pass rush. It just none of that is things that are consistent with a Pete Carroll defense. So, we'll see what that means in terms of what changes get made, if any. But look, going back to the defensive line, they have a ton of guys going into the final or who are going into free agency now who are in the final year of their contract. So, as Pete Carroll said, they got to get some guys back, and if they don't, they're going to have to be really active in adding guys. You know, the twenty twelve comparison made. Was, comparison has been made a few times and one thing they did that offseason was go add michael bennett and cliff averill in free agency i don't know if the, there's a michael bennett and cliff averill in free agency this year but they're gonna have to find some guys whether or not they keep clowning i think they need to go out and add some guys there and then yeah as you mentioned linebacker look you love what you got out of all three of those guys but kendrick's being a free agent and then the knee injury makes that kind of a mystery and then secondary you know, I we'll see what they do. There's a lot of guys, young guys, they like there, but there's also some, you know, some stuff they'd like to improve. So I wouldn't think they're done adding there.
2: And and I do think secondary is one of those positions. When you take a look at the corners, and I, I'm thinking about Trey Flowers after the game, who essentially owned up and said, "Look, I, I played like a rookie today. You know, I I shouldn't have made those mistakes. I have to be better." But I also think that part of that position is just the recognition and the diagnosing that happens after you have been in the league a few years. As painful as it is in that moment, very few players get that right right out of the gate, particularly when you're going against Devontae Adams and you have Aaron Rodgers back there at quarterback. I mean, for as good as that 2012 team was, there were still mistakes that were made back there until all of those guys kind of settled into their roles, and then there was no stopping them.
0: Yeah, and look, Trey Flowers, as you said, he he will be the first to admit that wasn't a good game for him, he, and he had the penalties the week before against Philly. So it was unfortunately not a great finish to the season, but over the course of the whole year the body work, He did what you wanted to see him do from his rookie year to his second year, which was get better, especially for a guy new to the position. So, yeah, he's going to leave this season with a bad taste in his mouth, but I I still think there's a lot of upside for him to grow and still be a really good cornerback.
2: And as painful as it is when a season ends, there's nothing left for these guys but to start looking ahead to next year, and that's where the focus was by the end of Sunday night and Monday afternoon.
1: This team has been so resilient that – they they did it again, but we did talk about it. It's worth feeling the pain, you know. It's worth feeling the, the uh, you know the shock of it, and so that you, because I said some guys that that'll motivate you. Not to everybody, but some guys that will motivate you to even work harder and to be more tuned and committed and all of that. And so use that if you can, you know. And uh, I'm not real worried about them turning. They got plenty of time to get turned around. These guys will come roaring back.
0: Yeah, it's you know, it, these are always hard times, but it's always interesting to see the dynamic of how quickly, and I almost think sometimes fans have a hard time processing the end of a season more than players do. And maybe that can almost rub fans the wrong way sometimes, but players, they're conditioned to say, okay, what's next? How do we get better? What do we need to do to make 2020 better and that? And not dwell on this. So, yeah, it hurts, and a lot of guys, as Bobby Wagner was saying, you know, use this. Let it fuel you. But at the same time, like, you saw guys smiling yesterday, making jokes, and they're already making plans to – Work out together in the offseason and figure out, okay, what can we do to take that next step to be a better team next year?
2: Yeah, there's two things on that. One, I I've read a book recently that talked about completing the cycle. That's where you let the emotion and all the feels, whatever the feels are that you're having, you have to experience it, just like Pete Carroll said. Because if you don't, you're never going to process and move through that. And somewhere along the line, that's going to end up tripping you up. So that's what Pete Carroll was talking about. And the other thing when you talk about the fans and how you process this it is harder on fans because they have zero control. Yeah. You know, every single guy in that locker room now feels some sense of responsibility and control over what happens next. So fans, truly, it's not that they don't care when you see them smiling or laughing. It's that they already know the steps they can take to start improving, and that level of control gives them the confidence to move yeah,
0: forward. Yeah, I love Tyler Lockett walking out. Of the lo- they So the locker room for fans who don't know the timing of yesterday – Locker room is open in the media while players are cleaning out their lockers. And then right from there, they go to a team meeting, which is kind of the last full team meeting with Pete Carroll before these guys are let go of, into their offseason. And Tyler Lockett's walking down the hall with, with Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf, and he's yelling about, you know, th- this isn't the end of, of the season. Where, you know This is already the first meeting of next year. He's already flipping that page and just looking at, okay, this starts now. We're putting that loss behind us, and, and we're on to the next season figuring out what we can do to, to make it a good one.
2: Well, I think that's probably good advice for just about everybody, including us. I think this will do it for the 2019 edition of the Seahawks Insiders podcast. But I tell you what, we're going to come back to you after the combine, after the draft, perhaps after minicamp, give you some updates along the way so that it won't be quite so long before we talk to the folks again. How's that sound, Josh? That sounds great. Fantastic. Until then, enjoy your day, enjoy your week, and thank you for listening to this season's editions of the Seahawks Insiders podcast.